Are you ready for God's word? Can we dive into God's word together for just a few minutes? Why don't you stand with me? And that'll help loosen us up a little bit. Um, And turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark's gospel, uh, the eighth chapter. Um, In Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel is one third of his entire gospel is Passion Week, the week that Jesus is crucified. So chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, 15, that's all Jesus being crucified. And then chapter 16, you have the the resurrection, which is a small epilogue, you know, it's, it's, but the way Mark organizes his gospel is we have a short prologue and then he jumps into Jesus' ministry and we just kind of go ministry event to ministry event, ministry event. And he shows Jesus' ministry around Galilee and, and kind of to the northern regions a little bit, but mostly in and around Galilee and, and, and um, the Sea of Galilee and then uh, Capernaum, you know, and, and that kind of area. And he stays there pretty much, that's chapters 1 through eight. And then chapter nine, we have some movement of Jesus toward Jerusalem for the last time. In chapter 11, he's in Jerusalem the last week of his life. So that's the way Mark organized. Having said that, we're in chapter eight. So this is Jesus kind of Galilean ministry, but he's actually north of Galilee. He's at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, That's the place where, where Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So that's kind of where he's at. And they've kind of had that moment with, with him, Peter's confession of Christ. And then Jesus begins to talk about how he's going to have to suffer and die. Uh, And then verse 34, Mark Uh, make sure that we understand because he's been talking with the disciples. And you have to understand one of the key words of Mark is suddenly. Mark Mark just moves from event to event, almost like social media posts, like Instagram posts, like, and then he healed. And then suddenly this happened, suddenly this miracle. And suddenly he fed the 5,000 almost. It's just it's all the way through his gospel. But he makes sure because Jesus has been talking to the disciples. Peter has said, you're the Christ. And then Jesus is talking to the disciples about how he's going to have to suffer many things. And then he addresses the crowd. And Mark wants us to know that he called the crowd together. So now this is not the disciples, but the crowd. And he wants us to know that what Jesus is about to say is absolutely applicable for everyone, period, for everyone, right? Not just disciples, it's for the crowd, right? Um, Meaning it's for people that don't even know Christ. It's it's for everyone because Jesus is about to tell us how life works, okay? So verse 34, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me. Now let me pause right here. I'm going to read a very familiar passage, and some of you already know which one it is. And for some people, it's not a fun passage because it's a difficult passage, and it is a difficult passage. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. How many know most of the time, if you've heard me preach, Uh, usually I will come at something from a different perspective or angle, right, than what you've heard before. And that's what I'm going to do today. In fact, I'm going to take something that sounds laborious and difficult and burdensome, and today, by the time we leave, you're going to realize this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know what I'm saying? Uh, If you can eat carbs. Um, You know, if you can't, I I don't know what you have. I don't know what the greatest thing since sliced bread is if you're, you know, you don't eat cards. Anyways, um, so just stick with me is my point. So he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But this is Jesus saying, let me tell you how to save your life. Okay. 
Verse 36, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, and if you think that's harsh, I think that would be very gracious in explaining our culture today, but <laughs> that's just me. Bless him. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Um, I want to talk to you just a minute. I call this about that life, about that life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for all that you did in and through us last year. God, this year we're believing even for more. God, as we open now your word, we open our hearts and we ask God, please, 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 don't let us miss this moment, but speak life-transforming words straight from your heart to ours. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing to honor the word of God. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about discipleship, and I know this is a difficult verse, but I want you to see it differently. I was talking with our staff this last week. We had an all-staff staff meeting, and I was sharing with them this, how God had put this on my heart and the burden that I had. And, and one of the things that I told them is I said, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if, if our people maybe are starting to think at Pathway, we do a lot of different things. Meaning at Pathway, well, we have weekend experiences. At Pathway, we have student experiences. At Pathway, we have prayer meetings. At Pathway, our prayer experiences. Everything's an experience now. Um, at Pathway, you can give. You can serve. You can be in a group. You can go to classes. Um, there's all these different things. And, and ultimately, Pathway does a lot of different things. And what I told our staff is I said, I want us to reorient that just a bit to say this, at Pathway, we really only do one thing. We, we only are focused on one thing. There's only one thing that we're trying to do. And ultimately, it is the one thing that Jesus not only told, but commissioned his church to do. Now, Jesus did not commission his church to build a church. In fact, he didn't even ask pastors to build a church. He, he said this, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell. So Jesus builds the church. So if Jesus builds the church, what do the pastors do? What do the people do? Well, the pastors and the people make disciples. That's the only thing. He said, go into all the world, Matthew 28. Go into all the world, not make church attenders. Don't make good people. Go into all the world, not even make converts, go into all the world and make disciples. So the only thing Jesus asked believers, Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus, the only thing he wants us to do is make disciples, but you can't make one until you become one. So the assumption is you become a disciple to make a disciple. Are you with me? So what he's asked all of us to do is to make disciples. Now, you may be saying, wait a second, Pastor, that's why we pay you. You're the man. You make the disciples, and we show up. Well, you need to read Ephesians. Because when you read Ephesians chapter 4, you'll find out my job is to tell you it's your job to make disciples. Believe it or not, right? He said he gave some pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers 
And he said, for the equipping of the saints, that's you. So if, if you hadn't had a good day up till now, just understand this. According to God, you're a saint. Listen, guys, if your wife gets upset with you today, you can say, Pastor Marty said I'm a saint. It, it won't help you, but you can say it. And it's probably going to cost you, but you can say it. Anyways, the point is, he said that the role of pastors, so our pastors, our, our staff is committed to helping you become a disciple so you can make disciples. That's, he said, he said the, the pastors, the church leaders, he said they're to equip the saints so that the saints do the work of the ministry. So we're here to help you become disciples so you can make disciples. Does that make sense? But I want you to understand, because if you're not careful, if you think, well, Pathway has a lot of different ministries, and it's kind of like, um, I can pick this one and not pick that one, and like this one's necessary, but that one's not necessary, then, then you're going to actually miss out, because everything that we do is a facet or dimension of helping you become a disciple or make a disciple. The reason I want everyone to lead a life group is because everyone's called to make disciples. So you have to learn to teach others and be responsible and lead others and let God use your spiritual gifts and let God work through you in that way. And that's being a disciple and that's being a disciple and that's growing. Prayer is about discipleship. Giving is about discipleship. Um, studying the word of God in our classes, that's about discipleship. I mean, you walk through serving is about discipleship. Community and groups about discipleship. Worship on Sunday mornings is discipleship. So everything we do is to help people be disciples because the only thing God's asked us to do is make disciples. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand for Jesus that that's, that's the big dance. Are you with me? Making disciples, being disciples, and making disciples. And so when I looked at this passage that way, I said something that I'm going to come back to. So I want to kind of give you my overarching thought that I want to frame everything by that I'm going to say, and then we'll kind of land there at the end. Does that make sense? But what I told the staff is I said, what I read in this text is the grace of God. Because what, what Jesus said was, there is no other way to do life that works. He said, if you try to strive to do life your way, come on, hashtag, you know, <laughs> Be true to you. You do you, boo, whatever it is. I mean, I, we got so many crazy things we say nowadays, but, it, but it's like li hashtag living my best life. He's like, if you try to live your best life, you're going to lose. But if you'll surrender your life to me, you're going to win. One of my favorite quotes from Jim Elliott, he was a missionary to Ecuador. He was martyred trying to bring the gospel to an indigenous group of people in Ecuador. He said, it is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Essentially, that is what Jesus is challenging the crowd. All of us will. He's saying life works one way. That's put it in my hands. Do it my way. Any other way, you're going to lose yourself. You're going to lose your life. What I told the staff that I want to tell you is I said, 
what I realized, the grace of Jesus in this moment, he's looking at people and he's probably seeing depressed, anxious, tired, distraught, confused, lost people. And he's saying to them, listen to me, listen, listen. You've been trying to do life your way or the world's way, and that ends in loss. I am offering you the only path to life that works. And what I need you to understand is Jesus is saying, if you, listen, the life that you want is on the road to being a disciple. In other words, discipleship produces the life that you want to live. You say, well, pastor, you don't know me. You don't know the life that I want to live. Okay, well, let me try a few things. Would you like to have hope? Would you like to have peace? Would you like to have joy? Would you like to have your life mean something and be significant? Would you like to be content? Would you like your life to be stable and not go up and down with everything that goes on around you in the world? See, most people would say, yeah, that's the life that I want. I could even go a step farther, and it's, it's a little bit of a, a nuance, if you will, but I could say, would you like to be happy? And I can tell you, all those things that I listed, here's what Jesus says. You try to get them on your own, you're going to lose. But you give your life to me, those are all the fruits of a life that follows Jesus, let me say it another way, that is what discipleship produces in your life. Discipleship produces joy. It produces hope. It produces contentment. It produces peace. It, discipleship produces stability. That's, that's why Jesus is offering something very, very gracious. And the enemy has convinced us, and maybe religion has done its part as well, but the enemy has convinced us that discipleship is hard work, it's laborious, and it's only for the spiritually elite, or it's for pastors, or it's for people that have enough time to be disciples. Right? And Jesus is saying, no, discipleship is my offering of grace to say, if you come after me, if you follow me, if you put your life in my hands, it won't be lost. In fact, that's the only path to fulfilling, enriching life. So let me give you two things. You can write these down as we kind of unpack that. Two things. The first thing is this. Discipleship isn't an option. It is the goal. So when Jesus is looking at them, he didn't, crawl the, he didn't call the crowd together and basically say, hey, if you want to come after me, there are a few options that I have for you. First of all, there's package A. Package A doesn't require much time, not a lot of commitment. Essentially, repeat this prayer and you know, say that I'm your Lord and Savior and believe me, and then you just wait until I come back. It's a low commitment option. It doesn't produce as much, but it's still there. It's a low commitment. That's option A. Or he said, if you want to come after me, I have option B. Option B is slightly more commitment. You attend church you know, when you can, semi-regularly maybe, somewhat regularly, something like that. Um, and it's a little more commitment. You get a little more out of it. And, and, then there's, and then there's B, and then there's C, and then down here, there's the radical crazy people that choose to be disciples. He didn't say that. He didn't say, if you follow me, you can be quasi-committed, committed on some spectrum or level, 
committed to a certain degree. He didn't say there's people who, in other words, he didn't say this, there are Christians who follow me and there are Christians who don't follow me. They're all Christians. Some are more radical than the others. He didn't say, let me say it another way. He didn't say there are saved people that are just saved people, but they're not really committed to discipleship. And then there are radical saved people that are genuinely committed to discipleship. He basically said this, there's disciples. I'm going to say something and, and it, it, it may sting a little bit, but let me just say, I love you. Jesus said, if you're saved, you're a disciple. Okay. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, all who are called to salvation are called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. Let me read it again. All who are called to salvation are called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. See, my concern in the church is we have two categories. We have the saved and we have the disciples. And Jesus didn't offer categories. So as a church, I can't offer you a category that doesn't exist. I can't offer you a category that Jesus didn't make up. And it's almost like we have those people who, who think like, well, you know, you just pray the prayer. Yes, Jesus is God. And you kind of live life, do the best you can, that kind of thing. Try to do more good than bad. And you're saved. And that's your category. And yes, then there are radical people like your life group leader or the elder at the church or one of the pastors or one of the staff. And yeah, though they're disciples. Like they're in all the classes. They're in the groups. They're doing all this stuff. They're always reading. They're always praying. But they're radical. See, they're, they're called to that radical life. I just want to be a good person and a good Christian and make sure I go to heaven. Here's the problem you have. That, the idea of salvation to go to heaven is completely inaccurate. It is complete error. It is erroneous when it comes to the New Testament. You need to understand something, first of all, about your Bible, if you don't, and that is this. The Bible is not a book telling me how to get to heaven. The Bible is a book about a kingdom that that I have been authorized to bring to earth. So the goal is not to go to heaven someday, according to the Bible. The goal is you bring heaven to earth. So that is why you have to become a disciple because you have to grow and mature and walk with the Lord so you help bring and usher his kingdom and his new creation into the earth. So the goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to get heaven into the earth. That's what the whole Bible's about from Genesis where God's like, you know what? I rule over the universe, but I wanna make a planet that looks like my kingdom. And I wanna, I wanna authorize a, a, a man and give him responsibility to rule over the planet the way I rule over the universe. And when all of that went wrong, God didn't change his plan because if you read in Revelation, it says this whole thing comes together in the end where God comes to that earth, he establishes kingdom on the earth. So, so you're like, where are we going to end up in eternity? Right back here. Well, I thought this was gonna be destroyed in fire with big helicopters and nuclear blasts. 
I don't know how much of that's going to happen. I know according to the Bible, we're all going to end up right back here reigning and ruling with Jesus because that was his goal in Genesis. And when you're God, you don't change to a plan B because you're powerful enough to get plan A. Are you with me? And so if this is the life we're called to and this is the life, then, then you can't do that just quasi-committed. And if your goal is to go to heaven, you don't even have the right goal. Let me pause and say, somebody, are you saying there is no heaven? Yes, there, there obviously is a heavenly realm where people who have passed away are with God now. So I want to make sure I'm clear on that because I'll get the question like, oh, he doesn't believe in heaven. I, I do. I'm talking about what the goal is. Talking about the end is, talking about what God's trying to get. Are you understanding? And our part in that. So, our part is not just to breathe air until He comes back or until we die. Our part is to help usher in the kingdom and the new creation of God. And that's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Trust me. If not, don't even trust me. Go study, right? Um, so, my point is to that end, Jesus only gives one option be a disciple. And you say, well, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who has made a lifetime commitment to the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Someone that's made a lifetime commitment to the words and the ways of Jesus. And you say, well, why the words and the ways? Because I want to make sure you understand that hearing the words of Jesus doesn't make you a disciple. It is when you do the words of Jesus that you're walking in discipleship. And so it is a lifetime commitment to the words and the ways of Jesus. In fact, um, the words of Jesus, John 8, 31 says, to the Jews who believed him, he said, if you, if you, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. How do I know if I'm really his disciples? I, I hold to his teaching. And they said, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Discipleship's the only path to freedom. Don't believe any worldly lie that says living your best life and doing what you want is the path to freedom. It's always the path to bondage. Discipleship is the only path to freedom according to Jesus. He said, be my disciple and then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Do you see that? And what about the ways of Jesus? Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he said, this just those that are committed to the, to the ways of Jesus. You have to understand, I don't know, y'all, y'all, I know we know this. Let me just say it really quickly. But, but the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus are contradictory to the world. Yeah. I, the problem I have in our culture is we keep trying to put God's name on a lot of worldly culture. Like we keep trying to make culture and the church one. And they were never supposed to be one. They should stand out very distinctly. The church should stand out very distinctly. Our lives should stand out very distinctly. They, they they, they, we should separate ourselves, not because we're pretending or, or not in some legalistic fashion. But if we just live the gospel, we should look different, act different, be different. Are you with me? Like, you know, the world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, everything that defiles you comes out of your heart. Don't follow your heart, follow me. I mean, these are the five of the biggest lies of our culture. Uh, live your own truth. Jesus said, you don't have truth. I'm truth. Follow my truth. I am the way, the truth, and life. Be, be true to yourself. The culture says, be true to yourself. Jesus said, no, deny yourself. We just read it. This is one that I love. Culture says, you are enough. You're not enough. If you were enough, Jesus wouldn't have come. Jesus came because you're not enough. 
And the moment you embrace that you're not enough, then you can receive grace and help and mercy that comes from him and actually have peace. As long as you're trying to convince everybody you're enough, you're going to lose your life. But if you'll follow him, you can save your life. Are you with me? Listen, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here's what he's saying. You're not enough to carry your own burdens. You're not strong enough to be your own source. You can't be the strength of your life. That's why I came. And in me, you can be enough. And in me, you have enough. So come to me. And then, and then this one, I love this in our culture. You're, you just be happy. And this is what we just read. But what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? So you have to understand, for Jesus, discipleship wasn't an option. It was the goal. Here, here's the second thing, and then we'll wrap this up. So discipleship isn't a religious requirement. This gets us back to what I was just talking about. It's a gracious gift. You have to understand when Jesus is calling you to follow him, and, and let me just say, it is difficult. It is hard at times. I mean, there is that verse, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I mean, that denying yourself is hard. How many know we're about to enter 21 days of fasting, and I'm going to want a chocolate chip cookie. I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm going to want more than one. The way I do chocolate chip cookies, first of all, mine are the best. They're amazing. And secondly, and I'm, I'm just telling you, other people have said it. It's actually not my recipe at all. I stole the recipe from someone. But anyways, um, but they're amazing. But the way I eat chocolate chip cookies is I make the dough, I eat half of the dough, and then I bake the other half, and then eat half of those, and whatever's left the kids can have, and Jana might get one. That's the way I do cookies. The point is, during 21 days, I have to deny myself, and I don't want to deny myself chocolate chip cookies. By God, I love those things. I'm telling you right now, that may have been what manna was, chocolate chip cookies. And I'm being obviously very facetious, but the point is, we know that the gospel calls us to deny our flesh, to live sinlessly, to, to make wise decisions, to have morals and values that are, that are consistent with the word of God. And that's not always easy. And then th he said, take up your cross. Now, for us, the cross is a symbol. It's nice jewelry. It's a symbol of what Jesus did for us. That's wonderful. But the truth of the matter is, taking up your cross in their culture, they didn't have a resurrection to look back on. The cross was gruesome, brutal. It was only for the absolute worst in society who had been sentenced to death because they had done unspeakable things. So when he says, take up your cross, they're like, what? That, what are you talking about right now? You know. So I'm, I want you to understand, Jesus doesn't say it's going to be easy. But he does say it's the only successful path to life. It's the only way that works. And what's great is he's not trying to create more burdens. He talked about how the law was so burdensome. He's full of grace and truth. He came to fulfill it, not do away with it. So here's the point. He's saying the law was a burden without me, but grace comes. So now I, I bear your burdens. Now you take my yoke, which was what they put oxen together with, right? So he said, you take my yoke. In other words, now I'm yoked with Christ and he helps me through the difficult parts. I don't know if you know this, but life's going to be difficult whether you follow Jesus or not. That's right. right? Life's going to be hard whether you follow Jesus or not. 
Stuff's going to happen whether you follow Jesus or not. The difference is when I follow Jesus, he helps me through the stuff. He helps me sort out life. And when I walk with Jesus, I can have joy even when the situation is not joyful. I can have peace even when my circumstances are not peaceful. I, I, I can have contentment even when, according to Paul, I'm sitting in a prison cell. Because from Philippians, which is one of the prison epistles, right? There are four. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians, all written from prison. In Philippians, Paul says, I've learned in every situation to be content. I mean, look at, I don't mean this is bad, but look at our culture today. We've got nice houses and cars and all the toys and all the stuff, and still people are not content. Yet Paul's sitting in a prison cell. He's like, I'm content. In fact, while I'm in prison, I'll just write some Bible. <laughs> right? But, but here's, here's the truth of the gospel. What Jesus is saying, it's, it's a paradox in that he's saying to gain, you have to lose. But if you try to gain, you're going to lose. But if you choose to lose, you, you get to gain. It's, it's paradoxical. And it's paradoxical in that it's in, in its inclusivity and exclusivity because he's basically saying, whoever wants to follow me can come to this path of life. But whoever follows me, there's just one path that works. See, it's inclusive, whosoever will may come, right? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's inclusive, but it's exclusive, and there's only one way that works. There's only one door that, that gets in. Are, are, you, are you with me? There's only one path to life that's fruitful. And so Jesus is sitting here in his grace, looking at people. Think about this. Looking at people who are struggling probably with many of the things in our culture, right? Emotional health issues, mental health issues, physical health issues, business issues, family issues, issues of the self, the, the habits in our life and the strongholds in our life that sabotage our own sense of being and our own purpose and our own life. And he's not trying to give us something harder. He's not trying to give us a bunch of spiritual tasks to do. What he's saying is, I came to offer you the path of life that works. So about this life, if you want it to work, there's just one path. It's follow me. That one path is be my disciple. Intentionally follow me. Intentionally commit yourself to my words and commit yourself to my ways for the rest of your life. And at the end, you win. It's the only way to win, but at the end, anyone can win, anyone who takes this path. This is the path of stability. Like in our lives, in our world, our world feels so unstable, doesn't it? But he's offering you a path of stability. Matthew chapter 7, he said, hey, you can, if you adhere to my teachings, right? In fact, in fact I'll just read it. It's right here. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the flood came, the wind came, beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it was built on the rock. Here's what he's saying. Listen to me very carefully. It's the same, same idea. The storm's coming for everybody. But there's one way you can keep your house from falling. It's inclusive. Anyone can come this way. It's the only way that works. 
but it's exclusive. It's just one way that works. And what he said is, if you build your house on my, on my word, in other words, let me say it this way, you live by the words and the ways of Jesus, you're a disciple, you're going to be stabilized. You're going to have stability. See, I think there are two huge problems in our culture in the way that I see it that this really addresses. The first one is everyone is the center of their own universe. And, and, and what I mean by that, think about our culture. So much so are we the center of our universe, everybody wants to have their own truth. Like your truth is your truth in your universe, but my truth is my truth in my universe. I want to have my own terminology. That means that for you, but this means this for me. I want to have my own rules. Like, I want to have my own legislation. And, and in fact, we're so much caught up in this idea that, that our, our life is our own that, that we almost can't handle the idea of submitting or honoring or revering any other authority or any other person or anything like that. Um, and, and it's okay as long as my life doesn't run into your life and your life doesn't run into my life and we all have these little orbits of self. And by the way, this isn't new, y'all. This is the Genesis 3 problem. God created man and God created man and he breathed in him the spirit of God. And essentially God created man with a throne room and God was to sit on the throne of man. And we were to live by just what Jesus said, losing our life or giving up or surrendering our life to him and following that spirit, the Holy Spirit, which was God on the throne of our life. When Adam disobeyed and took life in his own hands, said, no, I'd like to be my own king. I'd like to live my own way. I'd like to make up my own rules. Then that throne was vacated by the Holy Spirit and man became the center of his universe. And when man's the center of his universe, it doesn't work well. Why? Because you're not strong enough to be a God. You're not powerful enough to be a God. You don't know enough to be a God. You're not wise enough to be a God. You're not good enough to be a God. You're not gracious enough to be a God. You're certainly not holy enough to be a God. But when we become our own gods, things go south. Right? Well, that, that's the first problem in our culture. Everybody's their own God. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. They want to have their own truth. They want to have their own gender. They want to have their own identity. They want to have their own rules, whatever. The second problem is that their inside state is connected to their external state. In other words, for them to have peace, they need other people to recognize them as such, to identify them as such, to agree with them, to affirm them. The only way to have peace is to get everybody out there to line up with my truth and the way that I'm living. And, and then I watched this clip. It was really very sad, but it was, it was a person and someone was simply disagreeing with them and they were on the ground, looked like a two-year-old throwing a fit, grabbing their ears, screaming bloody murder. Uh, it looked worse than when Dorothy threw the water on the witch in the Wizard of Oz. And it was only because she, this person could not handle someone disagreeing with them. Her, her world and her sense of self and all was so fragile that just a disagreement brought her, I mean, she was just undone. And my thought is, this is the problem with our culture. See, when I'm on God and I need everybody to agree with my rules and my truth and all that, then I'm connected to what's going on out here. And what's going on in here changes based on what's going on out here. Whatever's going on externally changes my inward state. My external condition changes my inward state. Do you understand Jesus is offering you a way to live that deals with both of those? 
because discipleship makes God, the God of the universe, the center of your life. It puts him on the throne of your life and he's strong enough and he's powerful enough and he's good enough and he's gracious enough and he knows enough and he's wise enough. He is holy. Come on, are you with me? And it puts him in charge of your life and you can build your life on him, but you can't build your life on you. And then discipleship disconnects my inward state from the external condition. Listen to what I just said. Think about Paul. He's in prison and he says, I'm content. Think about he and Silas, they were in the inner prison, meaning the sewage of the prison. And yet at midnight, they said, let's have worship service. See, discipleship says I can have peace here no matter what's going on around me. Discipleship says I've learned to have joy here no matter what's going on around me. Discipleship says I have meaning and I have significance that I didn't come up with. It's not, it's not subjective in that I created my own sense of purpose and meaning. It's objective, meaning the creator of the universe who created me also with me created me on purpose for a purpose. And then I can have stability and I can have contentment and meaning and peace and hope because none of those things, do you see what I'm saying? So listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. When Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me and be my disciple, he's not saying, I've got a lot of hard things for you to do to prove yourself or to prove your worth or it wasn't about that at all. He's saying, I want to offer you a path to life that works. In fact, it's the only path that does work. And if you'll follow me, it's going to be difficult, but life's going to be difficult. Newsflash. But if you'll follow me, if you'll surrender, let me say it another way, your life in your hands will be lost. Your life in Jesus' hands can never be lost. He's saying, I'm offering you by grace a path to the life you actually want. We call the path discipleship. And if you're saved, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, you're saved. As C.S. Lewis said, you can't distinguish between the two, but this is the life you're called to, and this is the life that works. Amen. Can you give Jesus praise today? Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also... Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.